grateful that you're here this morning and that we have uh, this opportunity to look into some things from God's Word. Um, I guess it uh, it is that I come with a heavy heart today. For those of you who know that I have a chosen brother in Lloyd, and you may not know, but uh, Tammy's grandma, who married my mom's brother, Gordon Goodwin, Mildred and Lloyd are brother and sisters. also know that Lloyd lost his first wife a few years ago, and uh, he has now lost his second wife to the dread of cancer. I guess if I had a if I had a word to describe my uncle Gordon I would say that he indeed was a godly man and both for for he and Lorraine or Elaine the church was very important and so this morning if you had looked at your bulletin you would know that the topic that we're going to look at this morning is his glorious church A fellow by the name of Charles Spurgeon, who lived, was born in 1834, died in 1892. He has written and several things have been preserved that he wrote. And I'd like to share one of those with you as we begin. He that perverts truth shall soon be incapable of knowing the true from the false. If you persist in wearing glasses that distort, everything will be distorted to you. And may we never May we never be guilty of distorting the word of God because of our likes or our dislikes. When it comes to the Lord's church, I believe that it is 
glorious for a number of reasons. And when I was in college, they used to, you know, instruct us that, uh, you know, a good, a good sermon, a good lesson had three points. Well, I have six this morning, so that means it will be doubly good. The Lord's church is glorious because of its origin. You see, the church began in the mind of God, not in man. From the reading that Duane brought to us this morning that Paul wrote to the Ephesian Christians, there are some things that he says there that are significant. He says, eternal purpose of God. He also tells us, which he made happen in Jesus Christ, his son. And the church would become responsible for making God known in each generation from that time forward. If we go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, it doesn't take very long after creation that sin becomes a reality. And also we, were, we are reminded that sin has consequences. And so as a result of sin being real in the world, there was a need. We are reminded, we were reminded by Rob this morning around the table that that some terrible things happened at the cross. But it was the will of God. So Paul would tell us, as he writes to the Galatian Christians, he would tell us that the Old Testament was a schoolmaster or a teacher that brought us to Christ. And so, the church is glorious because it had a beginning with God and was fulfilled through his son. It is also glorious because of its foundation. In Galatians, or 1 Corinthians, pardon me, chapter 3, and verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. No one, he says. There have been lots who have tried, by the way. And some have been successful, and some have convinced others to follow. They have established something that is far from being what God intended. In Matthew chapter 16, 
when Jesus is with his apostles, and we find him in the district of Caesarea Philippi. Kathy and I were there. When he was there, he began to ask his disciples, saying, Who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, this foundation of the fact that I am the Son of God, I will build my church, Jesus said. And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Can you imagine that? Jesus had such confidence that he would say that he will build his church and hell itself will not be able to overpower it. Thirdly, the church is glorious because of its wonderful beginning. When I read the second chapter of Acts, when the disciples have been with Jesus and they have seen him go into the sky, and the angel tells them that this Jesus that they see going is going to come in the same way, and tells them to go into Jerusalem, and the disciples do exactly what Jesus had told them to do. Prophecy was fulfilled. On the day of Pentecost, God sent his spirit into the lives of men who weren't very well educated. But because of the power of the spirit, they were able to remember the things that Jesus had taught and said. A great sermon was preached that day by, by Peter. And the miraculous that took place that day was that everybody who was from all sorts of places of the world heard the, the message in their own language. Three thousand, the scripture says, obeyed the gospel that day. And the scripture says, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those 
who were being saved. And sometimes we ask the question, well, how, how were they saved? Peter's instruction was to the Jews that had killed Jesus and recognized their error and recognized what they had done and believed that God's message was true. Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where salvation comes. That's when we are saved. That's when we are added to the body of Christ. Not by man, but by God, through his Son. The Lord's Church is also glorious in relationships. There are a number of things that I would like to note. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15, the Apostle Paul, as he writes to his good friend and brother Timothy, he says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church, of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19, Paul says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. There is a wonderful relationship in God's family, the church. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul again would say when he writes to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, he would say this, for you have now received a spirit, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which you cry out, Abba Father, the spirit bearing witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul spends a, a, deal, a great deal of time talking about husbands and wives and their relationships. And then when he gets to the conclusion, he says, this, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church talks about relationships. The church is glorious because it has some very special relationships. 
So when, when someone like Uncle Gordon and Elaine leave this life, we rejoice because they had a relationship with God that is special through Jesus. We're part of this glorious church. We should ever be thankful. In the book of Revelation, as John writes, he paints this picture for us of Jesus Christ as being the bridegroom and the church as being his bride. And that he is coming again to take his bride home. The church is glorious because of its universality. It always intrigues me that that God initially throughout the Old Testament selected a nation of people to be his. They were referred to as, as Hebrews or the children of Israel. We are reminded in John 3 and 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so the starting point for anybody, anybody, it doesn't matter the color of your skin or what country you live in, when you believe in Jesus Christ, and you do what he says, you will be added to his family, his body, the church. In Acts chapter 10, Peter says, he was, he of course had some great lessons to learn and one of the lessons that he was learning was that God was no respecter of persons and and that was a tough lesson for Peter to learn. But when he sat in the home of Cornelius, and Cornelius was being ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, it's interesting that Peter, Peter would say, as he approached that particular event, he said, of a truth, God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that believeth God and worketh righteousness is acceptable to God. We can be so very grateful for that truth. In Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 through 29, Paul says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if 
want you to get this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to promise. Finally, the church is glorious in the fact that it has a destiny. A destiny that is special. We who are Christians are on a journey. The songwriter says, this world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Jesus said to the apostles, after he had talked to them about the fact that he was going away, told them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you may be also. you'll remember the question. Tom says, says, Lord, we, we we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He was pretty smart, you know, really. I mean, if you don't know the way, it's going to be tough for you to get there. He said, Lord, we don't know. We don't know where you're going, neither do we know the way. And Jesus said to him, I'm the way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27. We're reminded by John that we have our names written in the Lamb's book. church is a glorious one in many, many ways. And we have scratched the surface this morning of looking at a few of the things that makes it special. And those things that make it special is why I am where I am and why I do what I do. There are all kinds of options out there. All kinds. But I choose this one. 
I choose to have a relationship with God and his church and the fellowship of Christians who believe it. Songwriter. Songwriter says this, and I'll use this as we conclude this morning. When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. When by the gift of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. Friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river around me will flow. Yet just a smile from my Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. The large church is a glorious one. Enjoy. Enjoy your walk with God in his family, the church. And if you're not, seriously consider the ramifications of not being there and the blessings of being there. Let's stand together.